So last week we looked at how there were some false teachers who were leading the Christians in Galatia. We looked in a passage in Galatians 6. There were some false teachers who were leading astray some Galatian Christians by making non-saving things saving things. They were taking things that aren't saving things and making them saving. They were saying, you have to be circumcised to be a real Christian. You have to be circumcised like us in order to be a real, a true Christian. And there were a number of other things like that. But Paul used circumcision in that passage to make the point that they didn't have to do that non-saving thing like who we called the Judaizers were asking them to do. The Judaizers were sort of Jewishizing the Christian faith. And those were the false teachers Paul was writing against there. And, uh, and so they were saying, you've got to do this to be a real Christian. And Paul was saying, no, you don't. Um, we looked at diagrams and talked about how Southerners are actually pretty amazing with satire. Um, it was a good time. You should have been there. We had a rocket launch video. We had dry ice. Um, our campus pastors wore astronaut helmets. Um, and I kept my job. That was, that was the real miracle of last week. So um, today, today, with more than just a little satire, uh, we declare that the way to be a perfect Christian is to join the right church. Everybody's on the lookout for the right church, right? Like everybody seems to be looking for the right, the perfect, the correct, the best church. The church that will not only meet, but exceed my needs. And then it will do so without really asking a whole lot from me. Like, it's okay if you meet my needs and exceed my needs if I, like, parcel out what I want to do at my pace in a way that I feel comfortable with. We all track in, because <laughs> that's not really how it actually works. But that's the right and perfect church, a cool church that we're all looking for, oftentimes. Anybody ever watched House Hunters on TV? It's an HGTV show. Yes. Got that little guitar riff at the beginning. Ding dong. Okay. So anyway, it's a show and uh, they, they'll take people who are looking for houses and they'll take them around to various places. And somehow these people have a budget of half a million plus every time. But they take them around and they show them the available houses and, and they say, well, I'm not sure that will really meet our needs because, you know, I was looking for stainless steel stuff in the, in the kitchen, duh, um, and not like this boring old avocado thing that I grew up with. So it's that kind of a thing. Uh, comedian John Christ has a playoff of house hunters that he calls church hunters that sort of pokes fun at this dynamic of church shopping. And before we get into it, um, if you're new with us today, please don't take this as personally offensive. <laughs> We're using satire to make fun of ourselves. Let's watch this church hunters video. Previously on church hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. The Sunday morning experience was just a little too traditional. Hey guys, how we doing? Hey, good. Doing how are good, you? doing good. So I know you didn't love the traditional vibe of the last place, okay? okay. But I think this church is really going to do it for you. Yeah. It takes relevance to a whole new level. Behind me, you will see molded clay, jar art, tapestry, canvas, mosaic wow. church. Mm, I love Beautiful. it. Right? So you've heard of interdenominational. Mm -hmm. right. And you've heard of non-denominational. Mm -hmm. Well, this church identifies as interdenominational. Wow, that's, that's hard to do. 
here's the kicker. A lot of celebrities go here. Yeah. What? Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> we love him. Yep. We really do. Ben Higgins from ABC's The Bachelor. <laughs> Several Real Housewives. Ooh, and Usher even came here one time. <laughs> yeah. <Shut up>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, follow me. Come on. Do it. So refreshing. Honestly, that last trip was just way too traditional. It was yeah. too much. It was like we left there feeling convicted. Like, oh. ugh. Right. Right. We're just we're looking for more of a Tony Robbins type. Sermon. Like inspiration, like a TED Talk with a Bible verse. Yes. Oh, right. Perfect here. We love it. it. Really is. We love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, you guys know a lot of contemporary pastors speak out of the Message Translation Bible, mm-hmm. right? Or this pastor speaks out of a brand new translation. It's the Tumblr Bible. Shut we love Tumblr up. though. This is great. Wow. A lot of emojis, a lot of abbreviations. Oh, I couldn't ask for one. And how many seats in here? Oh, it is 6,000 altogether. Babe, wow. 6,000. i got to be in this worship band. Imagine true. me up on that jumbotron mid-guitar solo. Do you know how many Instagram likes you get? Oh. oh, my gosh. We find it hard to find a church right now because I grew up Catholic. I grew up Baptist. So, so like, we, we drink. Yeah, but just in private. I mean, obviously, you get it. Basically, in terms of like worship, I think we're looking for like a Jesus culture type thing. Oh, I right. love them. Hillsong, obviously. Oh, we do the cross. Hillsong's great. Like a Bethel minus the spontaneous yeah. stuff. Yeah. Just for me, I connect in worship more when the leader is attractive. Personally, I'm a Carrie Job guy. Okay. Well, she's married. Um. So is Christian Stanfield. So one of my personal favorite things about this church is the service times. Okay. There's an 8.30, a 10, a 1 o'clock, a 5.30, and even a 7 o'clock service. Oh, there's something around like 2-ish? Yeah, for us, for what we need, 2, 2.15 is best. Yeah. Uh, how many songs do they do during worship? Usually five, five and a half, depending on where the spirit leads. Oh, wow, babe, is that, is that a lot? Well, if that's too much for you, they have a program here called the Worship Assist Program. Okay. So if you ever get tired during worship, an intern will come out and just hold your arms up. You just keep worshiping the King of Glory. Just like that. Wow. I love it. You can still look super spiritual. And my arms get so tired from yoga. Same. I actually like this church. I think we can make it work. It was all right. I mean, it was it was good. But pers- like, I emailed the pastor, and he didn't immediately respond. So uh, we're taking these vessels elsewhere. Uh, we'll be starting our 215 service this afternoon. If you'd like to come join us. And uh, guest services, folks coming in the aisles have a new role, apparently. Yeah. <clears throat> Everybody's on the lookout for um, the perfect church. And what they're on the lookout for is a church that can bear the weight of messianic expectations, but that doesn't require messianic sacrifice. Everybody today seems to want small church, family feel, big church quality and programming. We want a church where the mission is strong, where it's vibrant, where people are coming to know Jesus every week. But that strong mission doesn't really require the kind of sacrificial personal invitation, sacrificial personal uh, participation from me to help make that happen. Like we want a kids program that will bear the weight of my parental responsibility to raise my kids for Jesus while also being extremely exciting and colorful and cool with bounce houses, right? The youth group needs to have a hundred kids in it plus easily so that there's this critical mass so that my kids can find the peer interaction they need, but without the teenage drama of hormones, right? 
Because that gets messy in youth group. (laughs) Sermons need to be uh, super deep so that the uber-Christian drowns, but also they need to be simple, understood by all, light and airy and whimsical, and he can't be 20 pounds overweight like me. This church, this perfect church, the right church, the church people want, it has to serve the poor and yet never talk about money. It has to be filled with very mature saints and new unrepentant sinners, but not the messiness that that entails. Tons of programs without me volunteering. A lot to offer, but not rely on me being here. We want, things, we want things in church to be easier than they actually are. In fact, we want church to be easy in a way we don't expect of much else in life. We want the body of Christ to not demand anything of us. Which means we have too easily let a selfish consumer mindset determine how we think about the body of Christ instead of what the scriptures teach us about church. (laughs) Like if you tracked with all that stuff in that video, (laughs) like I did, uh, you know too much about church culture. I would venture to say that many American Christians today are more well-versed in cultural forms of Christian living and what it takes to look and act externally as if you're the real deal than what it means to from the inside out with the spirit biblically live the Christian life. The problem with that problem, (laughs) the problem with that is that a faithful church and real Christian community will always make more demands of us. It will always make more demands of us for a good reason. We'll get to that later on. But the difficulty and the problem with cultural Christianity and letting the world's definitions of what it means to follow Christ and and, and approaching this with a consumer mindset, the problem with those kinds of expectations and, and ways of thinking about the body of Christ, the problem is that when those demands begin to conflict with our personal vision for our lives, then forget it. Today we're going to look at four uh, early church essentials that can reorient our hearts and minds to a more biblical understanding of what a faithful church and real Christian community look like and how much they cost. Don't miss that last part. These four essentials can reorient our hearts and our minds to a more biblical understanding of what a faithful church is and what a real Christian community looks like and how much they cost. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't yet have that handy, uh, we're going to be at, uh, at toward the end of Acts 2 there in uh, verses 42 through 47. This is the New Testament book of Acts that was written by Luke. It's volume 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Luke was one of the earliest followers of Jesus, uh, who was a doctor and a historian. He traveled with the Apostle, Apostle Paul uh, as uh, sort of co-workers in, uh, in missions. And Acts 2, 42 to 7 here are probably the best picture we have in all of scriptures of the life of the early church summarized uh, in just a few verses here. 
Uh, it's the best picture we have of what the early church did and what the result was. So look at me. Look with me at uh, verse 42. It says this, and they, meaning existing followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, and 3,000 brand new followers, as verse 41 tells us. So the they there means thousands of believers. They, thousands of believers in Jerusalem, devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. This is a key phrase we're going to spend a little bit of time on before we jump into these four essential elements here. It says uh, they devoted themselves. You may want to write this down if you're taking notes. This devoted word here implies persisting in spending lots of time on something. It implies continuously spending lots of time at something in a way that can be called persistent. Which means, think about this, and they were devoted. Meaning thousands of followers, thousands of believers in Jerusalem were persistently devoting themselves to four essentials of the early church. Keep reading. They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They were persistent in those four activities, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Think of the kind of impact that happens when a large group of people are persistently devoted to anything, let alone these kinds of mission, missional goals like the early church. Or when a large group of persistent people are devoted to anything, a lot can happen. <laughs> That's when, uh, when a church can continue to grow in a way that plants multiple campuses all over Green County, in a way that leads people to find and follow Jesus, when a large group of people are devoted to something. And so look at these four elements here and unpack them for a little bit here so we can understand what Luke is saying. First one is this, verse 42, the apostles' teaching. This is the first thing they were devoting themselves to persistently and continually. The apostles' teaching here is a phrase, the apostles' teaching is a phrase used throughout the New Testament to describe a number of forms of instruction. It could have meant something like this in a worship service. It could have meant more like a traditional Bible study where they had uh, the Word of God in front of them and they were talking about it and, and studying it. It could have meant the kind of thing where a rabbi or a teacher just sort of informally uh, was, was sitting there and, and teaching and people were gathered around asking questions, reflecting on what was being said. All those kinds of forms of instruction are included in this idea of the apostles' Teaching. And it's called the Apostles' Teaching because it was the teaching about Jesus. It was the teaching about Jesus' life that came from the original men who had been with and witnessed the life and teachings of Jesus. So it became an authoritative body of teaching because it was legitimized by those original witnesses of the life of Jesus. And so these early church believers, thousands of them, were persistently devoted to studying to listening to, to memorizing, to thinking about, to reflecting on, to asking questions of, being formed by the teachings of and about Jesus. So essential number one, early church, essential number one, is that the early church was a learning church. It was a learning church. That's why we say it's important to uh, engage in worship and to pray and study the Bible. The apostles' teaching became the written word of God that we're studying today, and they studied it then, and here we are doing the same thing 
this morning, gathering each week to study the words of God together so that we have this habit of engaging in study of the Bible. And and here's the thing about learning. Learning is not a passive activity. Learning takes work. It's why Luke uses the word devoted here. And he uses it in a tense that means they continued to work at it. Those who were devoted to the apostles' teaching, think about this, it's simple math. Those who are devoted to the apostles' teaching are going to learn more about Jesus than those who are not continuously, persistently devoted to the apostles' teaching. You tracking? <laughs> if you're devoted to being here occasionally, you simply, simple math, are not going to learn as much about the things we are reading and studying and learning as those who are here more often. That's why we say you have to engage in worship. We've learned to participate in church by just showing up. Part of the secret sauce of FCC is we, we refuse to settle for showing up as engagement. This is a context that calls you to commitment. This is a context that that sort of functionally, if you sit around a while, you learn they're actually really serious about this engaging worship thing. It's why we have space for sermon notes. Not because I'm special, but because the Word of God can instruct us. This tells you who you are. And so we want to come and engage in study of the Word of God. You can sit like a bump on a log, disengaged and tired because, I don't know, you worked a lot on Saturday, you didn't sleep enough on Saturday night. I get it. Uh, You won't learn as much as someone who comes motivated, engaged, ready to learn, who thinks, hmm, there's a reason there's that space in the worship guide, I guess. And he says every week, if you've got your Bibles with you, why don't you turn with me to... And things like that that become practices of learning. And here's the thing. If you come and you sort of functionally plan to disengage in worship, you'll get out what you put in. So, so like, prepare for this. Engage in this. Get your mind and heart ready to hear from the Word of God when you come here. I, like, I'm tired. That's why I got four cups of coffee going through me, y'all. Why do you think we serve so much coffee here? It's so you can learn. (laughs) Okay, not really. But but it does help occasionally. So uh, essential number one, the early church had coffee. Not coffee, no, not coffee. The the early church was a learning church. That's that's where we were headed with this. (laughs) Oh, that's, yeah. The early church was a learning church. All right. Second early church essential here uh, that Luke describes in verse 42 is the fellowship. They devoted themselves to uh, the fellowship. The word Luke uses here for fellowship is the word koinonia. Um, It expresses the idea of a shared cause that results in shared life and shared resources. Okay? And and in the context here, it's especially about that, that second piece. 
This is especially about shared material resources. Part of how we know that is because he says later on in verses 44 through 45, he says they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings. They were distributing the proceeds of those sales to all as any had need. He's saying this is what koinonia, a shared mission that results in shared resources, this is what koinonia looks like when you share life at a level like this that produces uh, fruitful followers of Jesus. This is not saying, for the record, parenthetically, this is not saying that the Bible forbids owning private property. This is not communism. It's communion. And it's voluntary. This describes people loving one another in Jesus so much that like a family, they voluntarily give their stuff to others like Jesus gave himself to us so that others can have what they need. And we do it willingly, voluntarily. In other words, hint, hint, seven habits. The early church pursued generosity. They pursued generosity. So early church essential number two is that the early church was a sharing church. The early church was a sharing church. Third thing, we have to pick up the pace lest we never get home. The third thing that the early church uh, was characterized by that was an essential that Luke lists here is what he calls the breaking of bread. Uh, The breaking of bread. Uh, Briefly, this is basically a a technical term uh, for a body of believers gathered in worship. Uh, usually after, uh, sometimes even during the early church worship gatherings, they would eat a large meal together and they would also do, within that large meal, a smaller recreation of the Last Supper within that larger meal. So eventually, eventually that smaller meal, the Last Supper part, became a symbolic remembrance of the work of Christ in their worship services. And that's what we now call the Lord's Supper, which we do every Sunday. Uh, And so Luke refers to this practice here of the breaking of bread as sort of a technical term uh, that would have been understood as the worship service. Okay, Uh, we break chiclets, we can say, uh, and not bread. So we're functionally doing a, a version of that each week. This is something that he refers to later on in 46 and 7, if you've got it open there. He says, day by day, attending the temple together, worship, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. This is why we talk about engaging in worship. Again, it's simple math. (laughs) It's simple math. It's like we say in next steps. If worship is a soul-shaping habit, where, where, where week after week, as we join together with other believers, we sing the praises of God, we direct our hearts toward Him. If worship is a soul-shaping habit, then the more engaged and the more regular you are in this, the more your soul is shaped to identify the glory of God and have your hearts directed toward Him. We believe something absolutely radical about your involvement here from week to week. We believe it's a process of continuing to form you into someone who has a vision for life that extends beyond this life. And that's the only way to have life. So early church, essential number three, was that that they were a worshiping church. The early church was a worshiping church. And then finally, the fourth early church essential that Luke lists here is the prayers. They devoted themselves to the prayers. It's in the plural, Um, because there probably were some set times 
um, and some set prayers that they participated in as sort of a, a holdover from Jewish customs. Um, that would have been in keeping with how most of the believers in Jerusalem were familiar with prayer. Uh, and, so, and, and so they were a praying church. <laughs> That's the, the fourth essential. The early church was a praying church. And, and just think about how important prayer is to the life of, of a, a body of believers. A community of followers of Jesus that seek God's direction and are dependent upon Him, right? Like think about that trajectory. When we, when we pray and submit ourselves to, to His will, then this whole thing ends up not functioning by human willpower or our emotions or our intuitions, but as we submit ourselves to God's will as a praying church, we have the presence of God directing us. That's why it's so important. And an essential here that Luke lists. This is again, obviously, an FCC habit. Pray and study the Bible. We pray in all sorts of settings. We pray in our small groups. We pray in kids' men. We pray in youth group. We pray here. Uh, we have a care room. We're praying with people now. Actually, uh, part of the look under the hood things, uh, people who are serving all over the building uh, at both locations right now, part of their service is having a time where they go to the care room and they pray for you and for this service. Right? Like people think the show and the flash and the graphics, this is how this works. Prayer and directing our hearts so that God leads us. That's how this works. So, so essential number four here is that the, uh, the early church was a praying church. So we've seen here in verse 42 four um, essentials that characterize the early church. And then in verse 43, he summarizes the effect, uh, 43 and following, he summarizes the effect that these four essentials had on them and on those around them. Look at these real quickly with me here, starting at verse 43. As a result of being uh, those four characteristics, a learning, uh, a sharing, a, uh, whatever the third thing was, and uh, prayers, church, worshiping, sorry. As a result of those four things, here is the result. Verse 43 and following. Awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul. And many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Why? Because the presence of God was seen in the lives of those believers. Those things were the presence of God being made known through the lives of the believers. And look at the result. Last part of verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved because the presence of God was seen through the lives of those first uh, believers. Luke simply names those four characteristics. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. He names those as ways to characterize the presence of God growing in and becoming real and made known through 
those first believers. And here's what I want us to notice about all four of those early church essentials. I want you to notice uh, the trajectory, uh, the sort of direction of the action involved in learning, sharing, worshiping, and praying. All four of those, learning, sharing, worshiping, and praying, they all require a humility and a selflessness of directing our attention at someone else, ultimately at God. Learning, sharing, worshiping, praying are all selfless behaviors where the object is God's vision for their life. So here's the main takeaway today in its simplest form. The right church, the perfect church, as if there is one, the right church for you is an opportunity to give of self. The right church for you that can help you become who God made you to be is a church that models the kind of self-sacrifice that led Christ to the cross. Because that is how you become who God made you to be. Experiencing the self-sacrifice that led Christ to the cross is how you become who God made you to be. Being a part of a body of believers where that's modeled for us is how God eclipses your piddly, earthly vision for self that's about securing your own little kingdom in the here and now that won't last. Eclipsing that with a vision for His kingdom a selfless vision for his kingdom that looks like Jesus on the cross. That's what the body of Christ is here to model for you. And the, the astounding thing is that when we learn that lesson, God's presence works through us to make known his glory. Nothing short of the presence of God working through the body of Christ to show his glory is the result. That's a lesson we have to learn as the body of Christ models it for us. I'm going to close by telling just a, a smidge of a story. Yesterday, um, we had a funeral for a woman who had been a well-known and a long-time member here at FCC, um, a well-loved woman. Um, some of y'all who have been around for a while um, know who I'm talking about. This woman... Um, was cared for by one of our own FCCers um, for about the last year and a half or so of her life. Um, one of our own FCCers took really great care of this woman. And, uh, and after the funeral yesterday, I was thanking this, um, this FCCer, uh, and, and I was saying, hey, thanks for doing such a great job uh, for caring for her um, for the last year and a half or so. <laughs> and the FCCer just sort of matter-of-factly said, I've received much more than I gave. I got out much more than I put in. I thought, wow, yes, that's it. That's the Spirit of God at work in our people. Caring for a woman who needed care. That's what the church is. We have to get to the point 
where we count our sacrifice and our devotion, our persistence in devotion, not as something that counts as making us righteous or something we we are owed back or something that we hold up and, and we say to others, look, look, look at me. We have to get to the point where we count our sacrifice as something we are absolutely thrilled to give away because that's what Jesus did for us first. That's what a Christian does. They give of themselves. So you cannot possibly come here if the Spirit of God is in charge of this church and turn it into something for you. God has bigger plans through the body of Christ to make His glory known. He's got bigger plans for you. The people of God who have the Spirit of God in them are happy to give of self because they treasure as precious the truth that a perfect, sinless, holy, infinite God gave of Himself to us. That's what defines us. That's what makes a church a church. That's why we're here to learn. That's why we're here to share. That's why we're here to continue to become who God made us to be. Worshiping and praying together. Continuously devoting ourselves to these things so that God, nothing less than the presence of God, makes Himself known to others around us. Let's pray, friends. Lord, we would be lost in a selfish vision of securing for ourselves a temporary kingdom where we rule and we reign. And so, Father in heaven, we want to have our lives redefined by the amazing truth that you loved us despite our rebellion against you and you gave yourself to us. You are selfless in a way, Lord, you called us to emulate. So make of us, Lord, a believers in your word. Trusting that as we devote ourselves to learning it, to sharing resources with one another, to worshiping and naming your glories, and submitting ourselves to your vision for our lives in prayer. As we give ourselves to those things, Lord, we trust uh, that you will continue to make yourself known and you would receive the glory. When the temptations come, Lord, uh, help us to redirect our efforts to the cross so that people would see Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen.